Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Today, we tackle a summertime evening tradition, drinking while watering. No, we're not going to try to sober you up, but we do have advice on how long to stand there with a hose while mindlessly watering the lawn and garden. Uh, While you're mindlessly watering, you might be thinking, Why aren't my squash plants having sex? What? You never use the excuse, it's too hot? On today's show, sex and the single zucchini. We'll tell you how to help those plants make more zucchini. And our soils expert, Steve Zion, loves worm castings as a soil amendment in the vegetable and flower garden. He loves worms so much, he keeps them in his kitchen. And you know, he just might be onto something. We have tips for making your own worm poop, uh, worm castings, at a fraction of the cost of what you'd pay to buy a bag of worm castings at the nursery. It's all part of Episode 19 of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, your official home for zucchini sex tips. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Do you know how to water? You know you can go to college to learn how to water. What? You don't want to go to college? Well, I'll bring college to you then. Here is college horticultural professor, retired Debbie Flower. Let's talk about watering established plants. Now, in America, there is a tradition at 530 in the evening, a lady or a gentleman will be standing out by a plant with a hose. Hopefully, it's on a shower setting. They have the hose in one hand. They have a drink in the other. They're yelling at the kids. Yep. What, how long, how do you determine how long to water an established plant? Is there some sort of uh, trick? Like, do you go one hippopotamus, two hippopotamus, (laughs) or, or something along those lines? Well, the rule of thumb, especially for a vegetable garden, is an inch of water a week. And so... I saved cat food cans, uh, tuna fish cans would work to six out any, you can use coffee cans as long as you have a, a number, let's say, uh, I've seen us in literature, people recommending as little, as few as two containers of the same type with straight sides and up from there. I like to have more than two, uh, containers cause I don't water everything by hand, but your goal is to get about an inch of water per week on that plant in most soil situations in most plant situations that will be enough for that plant to survive through the winter there's lots of math you can do to figure out exactly how much uh, based on where you are and what your soil is but it all comes the the upshot of and i've read it for many different places and done by many different academics it all comes down to about one inch of water a week now that's rainfall as well as what's applied whether it's applied with a drip system or a spray system or you're using an oscillating sprinkler or you're standing outside with your the hose in your hand and so you put those cans down and the beauty of the the shallow cans is that they're only about an inch deep and you water until you've got an inch of water sometimes your soil can't absorb water as fast as it's coming out of your hose so you get runoff. If you start to get runoff, then 
stop watering. Whatever your technique of applying the water is, stop. Measure what's in the can. Maybe it's a half inch, and maybe you were watering for 15 minutes. So that means that you, you take a break, let the water soak in. As soon as it starts to run off, you don't want it to run off. It's not useful to the plants anymore. You want it to soak into the soil. So give it at least 15 minutes, at least the same amount of time that you were applying water to soak in and come back and apply the rest of it again. So you can use cans, straight-sided cans that are about an inch deep, or you can mark inside of a, you know, like a tall coffee can, what is an inch. Put them out throughout the area you're watering, and as soon as you've got an inch of water in that per week, you're done. I like using the tuna fish cans or uh, raiding the uh, kitchen cabinet of of even-sided, flat-bottomed Tupperware containers. Yes, mm -hmm, that would work. What's critical is the straight sides. Well, this also dovetails nicely into uh, the correct way to water your lawn. If you have a sprinkler system on your lawn, you have some brown sections, you have some really green sections, doing the tuna fish or cat food can trick of putting several flat-bottomed, even-sided containers around that zone, turning the water on your sprinklers for a set amount of time, putting some of the cans in the really green zone, some of the cans in the really brown zones and in the intermediate zones. I would use about six per sprinkler. Turn the water on for maybe 10 minutes and then measure the amount of water in each of those containers. Theoretically, there should not be more than a 25% difference in the amount of water in each of those containers. And if there is, you've got a problem. Yes. You need to work on the system. You know, most of the country doesn't use in-ground irrigation systems. If you're using an oscillating sprinkler, for instance, that's a very popular uh, way to apply water to lawns and vegetable gardens. Um, many places I live, that's what I used for the vegetable garden. Uh, you're having those cans out. They do not apply water evenly. <laughs> uh, so having those cans out shows you where the water is being deposited most heavily and where it's not coming down very heavily and that tends to be right next to the sprinkler it tends to be the dry spot and so you're going to have to uh, have a plan to move that sprinkler at least once so that you can cover that area that is not receiving as much water uh, with a second uh, set of sprinkling and once again time of day plays a part of it if you live in an area where the winds like they are here in uh, central california we get the delta winds every afternoon you don't want to water when it's windy because you're losing a lot of water to evaporation and getting blown onto the patio and uh, besides that one really needs to water with rising temperatures not with lowering temperatures yes so better to do it in the morning uh, if you're going to use an overhead system, you're going to get water on the leaves of the plant. And in some cases, that, and in many cases, that can cause the plant to uh, have disease issues unless the water dries off. And if you're applying the water in the morning, it should dry off fairly quickly as the temperatures are rising. The other part of time of day is water pressure varies. Mm. If you live in a urban or suburban area and everyone takes a shower at seven o'clock in the morning or runs the dishwasher at three in the afternoon or whatever, uh, the available water pressure can vary, can dip. And then what comes out of your spigot uh, may not be as strong. So if you set up a water system and walk away, all you have all the water pressure to yourself, you'll get more water applied to your garden. But if 
the neighbor is also watering their lawn or taking showers or filling their pool or whatever their water use is, then you may not get as much water that time. So using the cans on a regular basis can help you be sure that you're getting enough water where you need it. Water is hard. It is, and it's critical to plants. <laughs> yes, it's complicated. If anybody's ever taken an irrigation class, uh, you know the amount of math that's involved in figuring all this out. Yes, and I have done that. <laughs> yes. We need to reassure people that, you know, what you're probably doing is okay if the plants are living. Right. And the simple techniques of just putting some cans out and measuring what water you're applying that's really the easiest way to go, I think. Half a beer per plant. Half a beer per plant. Yeah, that's a way to measure. Yes. Um, the other is a, a moisture meter, but again, you have to learn how to use it. Right, but um, those aren't that hard to use, but still. No. Watering is critical. There are several ways to do it, but my gut feeling is that most people, if they're watering by hand, they're not watering enough. Well, I don't know about that. It certainly looks watered before it really is watered. Uh, the soil looks dark and moist. The plant looks nice and clean and is dripping water droplets. That all happens before enough water has entered the soil and the root zone. Uh, the plants can live with less water than, than maybe we think they need, but their roots will be near the surface of the soil. And that's the most stressful place for roots to grow. It's the place where temperature gets hot very quickly, cools down very quickly, where water, when you apply water, it gets saturated with water very quickly and it dries out very quickly. So it's a very stressful place for plant roots to live and it leads to a stressed plant. And a stressed plant is the one that gets the uh, pest attack first. For so it is better to apply water deep and infrequent. Too much watering is not is based on how frequently you water. If you water every day, you're probably applying too much water. It may only be in the surface, but it, it's too much water. You want to apply water deeply and infrequently. So once or twice a week and let the water go down deep into the soil. That's the best way for the plant. We should point out that this is for plants that are in the ground, not in containers. Correct. Containers may need water every day in the summertime, maybe even twice a day in the summertime, depending on how hot and dry it is where you are. Again, I'll say it. Water is hard. Mm -hmm. Debbie Flower, we, we learned some more. What a beautiful scenic bypass we took teaching people how to water. Well, I hope that they listen and ask you questions so that we can we can be sure they understand it. You can get your questions in by uh, leaving a message on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page at uh, Twitter at Farmer Fred, or you can call us with your garden questions. What's the phone number, Fred? <clears throat> you can call us at 916-292-8964, 916-292-8964. If you want to send a picture, you know, you can text it and you can always send email. I like email. Send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com with your garden questions. Debbie Flower, let's go out and water the garden. Oh, it sounds like a plan. I'm 
I'm proud to have Smart Pots as a sponsor of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I like their products. I use their products. I would buy their products again. What exactly, you might be asking, is a Smart Pot? It is the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and it's all made right here in the United States of America. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes, too. They can be reused year after year. Go to their website and check out all that they offer and get a lot more information about Smart Pots. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. They're also available at Amazon.com. And I tell you what, if you visit their website, smartpots.com slash Fred, you can get a nice discount if you buy those Smart Pots on Amazon. Hmm. Check it out. It's smartpots.com slash Fred for your discount on Smart Pots. It's the original award-winning fabric planter made right here in the USA. We're getting a lot of email here at the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast from people wondering, why am I not getting any squash? After all, there's flowers on the plant, but the fruit that comes out, it, it, it it's small. It falls off. What's wrong? What did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. Squash, <laughs> melons, and cucumbers have a flowering habit, which is unique among vegetable crops. Here to tell us more about sex with zucchini... Vegetable expert, master gardener, Gail Pothauer. And Gail, we need to, uh, I guess, explain uh, sort of the birds and the bees to uh, the people here about boy squashes and girl squashes. Absolutely. It's um, squash and melons and gourds, things like that, are in the same family, and they're what's called monoecious. It means they have male flowers and female flowers on the same plant. So part of the problem in this time of year is if you're not getting any fruit, it's because the male flowers start first. Typically on cucurbits, the male flower will open up first, and then there will go through a phase where the female flowers will open up. And they've got to get synchronized, where the male and female flowers are flowering at the same time for that same one hour in the morning. I mean, they have a real short time period when the pollen is viable, usually in the morning, and they've got to get synced up at the same time. And you got to have pollinators there like bees spread the pollen around. Pollen for squash tends to be pretty thick and heavy, um, so you don't have to worry about it blowing in the wind and getting wind pollinated. But it's typically honeybees. And what I've noticed on the, most of my squash are the native squash bees. They tend to pollinate my squash. Um, Honeybees tend to pollinate my melons, but squash bees do my squash. Boy squash flowers, especially on zucchini plants, are very noticeable because beneath the flower is a long, thin stem. Mm -hmm, That's correct. And the female flower has a miniature fruit. So if it's a zucchini, it's going to be long and skinny. If it's a melon, it's going to be round or whatever and fuzzy. But yeah, the female flower will have an immature fruit at the bottom on a shorter stem. The male flower does not have that immature fruit, has a longer stem. And depending on the variety of the squash, that male stem could be, or the flower stem could be very long. I had a squash last year that I grew. It happened to be a winter squash, but 
it had a two-foot stem on it, the male flower. I'd never seen anything like that. Uh, generally, it's not that long, but it will be longer than the female. And as I mentioned earlier, people complain that if, when fruit does develop, it tends to either be small and it falls off. What probably has happened is there was not um, adequate pollination. Maybe the male flower wasn't open at the same time the female was, and so the, the pollen didn't get transferred at the right time. Or it could have been that during a heat spike we've had, the pollen could have become no longer viable. And the bees are now transferring pollen that's dead, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to fertilize the female fruit. And then there's always things like if we have a long, hot stretch, pollen can, uh, can die. Also, the heat can make the zucchini or squash plant bear more male flowers than female. So it, it's, it tends to be more maleness during longer days and hotter weather, whereas female flowers tend to come on when it's shorter days and a little bit cooler weather. Timing is key here. Can us humans uh, help out this uh, process at all? Certainly. Um, you can either get a little artist paintbrush and transfer the pollen from the male flower to the female flower, or you could actually just take the male flower off kind of remove the, the flower petals and use that as the brush and kind of transfer the pollen. And especially if you want to try to save seeds, if you're growing an open pollinated variety and wanted to save seed, that's the preferred way to do it is to pollinate it yourself and then put a bag or something over it so it can't get cross-pollinated. That's a lot of work. And I, my, yeah, it is. <laughs> my, my philosophy is just wait. Mother Nature will figure this out. That's true. <laughs> does seem like a lot of work to me as well. Let's talk about uh, something that I get a lot of questions about, and they're wondering if they if gardeners plant several different varieties of squash or members of the cucurbit family together. You've got your pumpkins and melons and zucchini, perhaps in the same garden. Is there going to be mm -hmm. a chance that you're going to get some wacky fruit that first year? No. Because, uh, for one thing, there's several different species in the cucurbit family. So if we're talking summer squash, zucchini, uh, the patty pan, crookneck, the typical pumpkin, acorn squash, uh, what else, spaghetti squash, those are all in the same species, uh, cucurbita pipo. And if you were growing several of the squash in that particular species, they could cross-pollinate. However, it's only going to be, um, will affect the fruit that you grow next year from seed that you saved this year. So it's not going to affect the fruit this year. So you can grow a melon next to a cucumber, next to a zucchini, next to a big giant pumpkin. If they all could cross-pollinate, which they wouldn't because they're different species, but if they could, it would only affect the seed that you saved that you would plant next year. Gail Bothauer explaining to us everything we need to know about sex with zucchini, the boy flowers, the girl flowers, <laughs> and what they're doing and when they're doing it. And the bottom line, folks, is go back inside, worry about something else. They'll figure it out. Is that right? <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Okay, just making sure. All right. Gail Bothauer, vegetable expert, master gardener, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Welcome, Fred. It was my pleasure. 
We've talked in the past with Steve Zion of Living Resources Company, our soils expert, about the benefits of composting. But did you know he has a favorite composter? And they're alive. Steve has the squiggly details. So we've we've been talking about composting. And one of my favorite methods of composting, and I think it yields the highest quality without a doubt, is worm worm composting. You build yourself a little worm bin. And uh, those are my pets right now. (laughs) We used to have cats, but now we've got worms. Uh, They're actually sitting about uh, three feet behind me. I'm sitting here in my office. And uh, they make excellent compost. And the, the real advantage of this material is the biological content. The numbers of organisms in this material is much, much, much greater than conventional compost. Uh, just by the nature of the way worms function, they add that biology. If you ever touch the worm, they're, they're really slimy. And that slime is just loaded with microscopic organisms. And that slime is actually food for the microscopic organisms. When you add the biology that's that's in the compost, and even more so with the worm casting, that's what opens up your clay soil. That's what makes the, it's the microscopic organisms that make the nutrients available, that fight off pest organisms, that make your plants drought tolerant. It's all about the soil biology and, and the worm castings really do a great job. You can just get a couple of Tupperware bins, drill some holes on the sides of both, and and you want them stacking. And you put drill some holes in the side and then put some landscape fabric uh, so the worms aren't going to get out. And so you cover those holes with landscape fabric on the inside. Uh, The top bin, you drill holes in the bottom so that if any excess moisture uh, develops in that top bin where the worms are living, It'll drain into the lower bin, and then you'll have worm leachate that you can put out in the garden as fertilizer, as a liquid fertilizer. And then you get some composting worms. They're called red wigglers, and they're available uh, from mail order. Some nurseries sell them as well. And the easiest way to, to, to start a, a bin is to uh, get your, your kitchen wastes. You throw those on the bottom of the bin, throw in the worms. And then shred some newspaper. Um, I just take newspaper in one-inch strips and then um, submerge them in water or run water over them and then squeeze the water out and then put those strips of newspaper, pull them apart, and put them loosely over the vegetative material that's in the, in the bin. And uh, they'll do the job. What can you use instead of newspaper? I don't know if you know it or not, but newspapers are an endangered species. Uh, I guess you could use cardboard. You want? I, I have, actually, that's an interesting question. Um, people are still printing things, mail, you know, any kind of paper okay. product. Okay. All right. Any kind of paper product, shred it up, and, and, and just moisten it up. You know, you know, and squeeze the water out so it's not dripping. And so the, the, the worms will feed on the, the vegetative material, typically depending upon the size of your bin and how many worms, you might have to feed them once a week or once every uh, two weeks or, or maybe twice a week. You want to put the newspaper on top for, for two reasons. One, if, they, if you're not getting out there and looking at the worm bin to see whether they need food or not, they'll at least have that newspaper to, to feed on. Also, the newspaper will act as a protective layer between that raw, 
vegetative material that can attract things like fruit flies, and it'll keep the, the, the insects out more effectively, as will covering the holes with the uh, landscape fabric. So you mentioned worm food. Can I go down to the local farm supply store and buy a bag of Purina worm chow? Well, you don't need worm food. The worm food is is any kind of vegetative material. You know, I, I like kitchen scraps because they're they're you know very easy to for them to digest. But a lot of your leaves from the garden, grass clippings, any kind of vegetative material, they will eat. Now the 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 I like the vegetative material from your 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 kitchen scraps because the typically the material is thinner. And so they will be, you know, like leafy greens. I like to give them leafy greens. It's very easy for them to digest that as opposed to a leaf that is much thicker. It's going to be harder for them to, to digest that. If that's all you have, you can, you can, you know, shred that material up. Um, one way to do that is to take the, the, the leaves from, from various plants, bay leaf or camellias or things like that, where the leaves are substantial in thickness um, compared to a lettuce plant and you can put that in a garbage can and then you uh, take your weed eater and push that weed eater down there and uh, whack it up and just chop it up into small little pieces that makes it uh, a whole lot easier for those worms to ingest that realize that typically most people are aware of the worms that they have out in the garden those are earthworms and they're rather large in comparison to the, the little red wigglers uh, they're probably 10 to 20 maybe 30 times or more larger the earthworms are larger by a lot and they're not as good at composting typically most people that have done the research and most commercial composters use the red wigglers i only know of in of, of one commercial worm composting company that actually used night crawlers all the rest of them used the red wigglers they're they're fun it's it, it's you know it's very rewarding to to you know open up that worm bin and see all of those guys you know munching on the food and then you you know you take the lid off and and they'll be on the surface and they don't like light so very quickly they're moving into the into the compost that they've made or the the, the food that's left to hide from you it's absolutely excellent excellent food for your soil of course there are commercial worm bins you can buy you don't necessarily have to um, get a homemade one uh you can uh, yeah. you can purchase worm bins and uh and, and as far as what they eat out of the kitchen in my experience with my worm bin they don't like too much in the way of citrus or eggshells but everything else as far as uh vegetative matter not meats or oils but vegetative matter right. they don't have a problem with yeah again the big you know like green peppers things like that um that are you know thicker and bigger if you can chop them up grind them up put them through a blender or something uh to get the particle size smaller going to be easier for them to digest that material an easy way to get you started on composting or worm composting is to keep a empty large coffee can under the sink and as you're preparing meals just take some of the vegetative waste and put it in that can when the can's full take it out to the worm bin yes steve zion's been with us pedologist soil expert organic gardener for over 45 years and organic garden and landscape consultant for uh, over 45 years as well we've been talking about worm composting 
Thanks so much for the information. Good stuff. It was fun. Thanks for listening to Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's available on many podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, and many more. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave a comment or a rating. That helps us decide which garden topics you'd like to see addressed. And again, thank you. Because you use two words that uh, people are going to stop and wonder about. Mono, mo, With the no, parthenocopic and the gynoecious. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll just ask you. So what exactly is parthenocarpic? Oh, man. <laughs> parthenocarpic. Hold, hold on a second, because I always get that one in gynoecious Gyn- mixed parth- up. I, I know parthenogenesis because it was the name of a canned heat album. But, uh, oh, is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Let me look. Parthenocarpic. I'm always getting parthenocarpic. I think that's the one where you don't have to have any. And how come I don't have that in my notes? Uh, let's see. Hold on a second. Somebody was listening to our conversation on Google and says <laughs> Johnny Seeds was listening. And they say parthenocarpic varieties do not require pollination to produce fruit. Gynoecious varieties have mostly or only female flowers, the flowers that produce fruit, and typically are earlier and have higher yields. All right. There's that. 